Welcome to Beyond My Comic Shop. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Beyond My Comic Shop is a subseries of My Comic Shop History, featuring stories in and around the comic book world. This subseries was previously known as Flat Squirrel Tales, but following a crisis on infinite podcasts, all of my shows now live under the My Comic Shop History podcast feed. This installment is a double feature that originally aired as two episodes of Flat Squirrel Tales last season. First, I speak with 13th Dimension's Dan Greenfield and Reed Pop's Chris Delando about our experiences on the convention floor. Then, I trade road trip tales with comic book creator Greg Schiegel and retailer Chris Wilcock. This episode is very much a prelude to the upcoming Season 4 of My Comic Shop History, which will focus on the different players on the comic convention scene. This episode also marks the final Encore podcast. That's a nice way of saying repeat. My Comic Shop History, Beyond My Comic Shop, and My Comic Shop Book Club will all return with new episodes later in 2018. For now, enjoy this presentation of The Road to Con Season. I'm joined by two guests. Across from me, we have the editor-in-chief of 13thDimension.com, Dan Greenfield. Hey. Welcome to the show. Thanks. And to my left, we have returning guest, Chris Delando of Repop. Hey, man. All right, so conventions. Yes. Now, you guys, individually and collectively, you have a ton of, of convention experience under your belt, far more than mine, though I've been to my fair share of shows. Uh, but I wanted to bring you guys on and, and talk about them. I feel like I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with comic conventions. There are aspects of them that I, I like and, and, you know, things that I hope to get out of them. For example, the first few New York Comic Cons that I went to, I was really into collecting original art at the time, specifically mm -hmm. getting sketches from artists and Artist right. Alley. So... I loved, at the end of the day, having that sketch, but I didn't really enjoy the process of getting it, of dealing with the crowds and waiting in line and, and all of that. So I do feel like I kind of have that love-hate relationship. Kind of on that note, comic book fans, on an individual person-to-person -person basis, I like a lot of comic book Great. fans. Collectively, <laughs> in aggregate, the worst thing humanity has to offer. It reminds me of the scene in Men in Black where Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are sitting on the bench after Will Smith has just been, everything has been revealed to him and he knows what's going on. And Tommy Lee Jones has this great line where he says, you know, people are, people are dumb. A person is smart, but people as a whole are dumb and the things that they believe and all of that. Not smart or dumb, but I kind of feel that way with comic book fans where again, on that person to person really basis, they, I love them. But when you put them all in a convention center, yeah. it can be very trying. The example that I always go back to is this was either the first or second year that I went to New York Comic Con and Warner Brothers screened the Wonder Woman cartoon, the animated movie right. featuring the vo vocal talents of Nathan Fillion and Carrie Russell. Right. Nathan Fillion could not be there, but he recorded a video message that they played for the audience. So as soon as his face pops up on the screen, that room of comic book fans just erupted. They were cheering so loud. To this day, I don't know what the man said. <laughs> and it always bothered me because it's like, he's not there. He can't hear, he can't hear your adoration. <laughs> Why not just hold your applause until the end so you can actually hear what he has to say? So that experience kind of encapsulates my feeling about... <laughs> it's a good anecdote. ...about fans and, uh, and just these conventions in general. So, again, aspects of them that I enjoy and things that I love getting out of them. But, you know, just the thought of, of dealing with all of that can be kind of daunting. I mean, what sort of relationships do you guys have with, with conventions? I mean, I, had a, I have a terrible relationship with comic book fans. I mean, I've been a comic book fan my whole life. But, I mean, as I mentioned before, I did PR in comics for three-plus years and... The way I, my anecdote used to be, 
comic fans don't know what they want. They just know you are not it. Like <laughs> they, they have no idea what they want, but oh, it's not what you're giving them. Right. Um, and, and, uh, someone, I forget who the quote was attributed to. It, it used to get tossed around, uh, in the office. I think it might've even been Bill Jemis. Um, but the quote was, if, if Marvel came out one day and said, we're going to give everybody milk and cookies, the first comment would be i'm lactose intolerant motherfucker like (laughs) and that's just like a perfect example of of how comic book fans can be and i like like you said on a a person-to-person basis they're great love having conversations with them love shooting the shit and talking about books but like when you when you get the hive mind together it's it's grueling it's tough how about you dan i i tend to ignore it i put on the blinders I really do. I mean, I, I go in expecting the worst and hoping for the best when it comes to going into the big crowd. I I know I'm going to be jostled. I know I'm going to end up dealing, you know, you encounter people who are maybe not particularly socially adept. You know, the, the, the cliches, they, they all exist for a reason, sadly. Um, but it... For me, it isn't even so much the the hive mind as it is just the sheer. It depends. I mean, look, we're talking about different kinds of shows, right, too. Yes, you know, when we're talking about a New York Comic Con, frankly, it's a blessing and a curse. Sure, the blessing is the sheer volume of incredibly great stuff that you get to choose from, um, almost to the point where you can't even choose to do it all. You really have to plan it out, but also what you have to deal with to get there. So it's exciting and it's intoxicating and it's. You know, it's all these great things, but it is also exhausting and infuriating and maddening, particularly as the crowds start to develop and you're trying to get from point A to point B and it takes a long time to get there because you're just shuffling along and shuffling along and shuffling along. And the the sensory overload can get to you after a while. But I, you know, I... I still look forward to going to New York every year. Every year I'm always asked, you know, repeatedly people from, you know, you come to San Diego this year, you come to San Diego this year. You know, I'm like, I've, I've done San Diego. I have New York. I'm good. You know, I know I should go to San Diego at least every other year, if not every year. But at the same time, New York kind of fills the bill now. It's it's not the same show, but there's enough similarities there that I don't feel like I'm really missing out all that much. And frankly, from a comic book standpoint, going to San Diego, a lot of the information that you want, you don't have to wait to go to San Diego anymore. The publishers tend to tend to release everything big that they're doing the week and week and a half beforehand, and then the panels become pep rallies. So that's changed. I used to go to panels a lot more often to get information, but now you pretty much know what's going in and you get a bunch of you know five or six different writers and artists up on a panel and they can say only so much so after a while it really is for people who just want to hear the voices and I've, that's not something that's for me anymore yeah well you bring up something that i do want to get into uh, in a moment about sure. how there there is this range of shows because again yes. i think you know people think oh new york and san diego but there's so many other shows yes. and, and i do and more wanna... of them now than ever yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. But on the note of San Diego, so Chris, uh, last year, just about a year ago, I followed in your yeah. footsteps and I attended San Diego Comic-Con as a reporter for Bleeding Cool, which you had done a couple years prior. 2013, yeah. What was that experience like for you? Because I know we've never talked about it on the podcast. Um, it, it was great. I mean, I, I'll, I I didn't do... To me, it was like... I've, I mean, I went to San Diego for the first time with you when we went with the documentary. So that was, what, 2011, probably. Yep. Um, and I didn't go in 2012 and then in 13, I was like, oh man, I had such a good time in 2011. We had such a blast when we were out there. Yeah, it was fun. I I wanted to go again and, and 
getting tickets to San Diego Comic-Con is increasingly more and more difficult. Yeah. And even for creators too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The social media, when that, when, when that all happens, the, 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 the fury of the creators, like I can't, you know, I've been going there for 10 years and I couldn't go can't this get a year. Ticket. Yeah. yeah. And then not to mention a hotel, which is a whole other thing, right. you know, and, and you know, you have people who have tickets, but don't have anywhere to stay. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. you know, the point is moot. Um, so I, I wanted to go again and, I I happen across, you know, Rich at Bleeding Cool looking for, for people to report on. And it's like, oh, this is an easy way to get a press badge. And it, it might uh, lead to me getting some some connections in the industry, which I had heard is, is a good thing to do. Lo and behold, shortly after there, I was hired to work at Marvel, which is a, a coincidence of, of epic proportions I still can't believe happened. Set me on a very interesting career trajectory. But while, while I was there, I mean... I just kind of took in the show. I mean, I really didn't have a, a whole lot to do from an assignment perspective. I covered a couple panels. I, I, you know, your experience is probably similar. You were on an email chain with all the writers and said, you know, I'll take this panel, I'll take that panel. And I kind of just looked at the list and said, hey, I'm really interested in this stuff. I'm interested in that stuff. I, I can cover this. Nobody wants to do this. Sure. Um, and I did a couple articles a day and, and, and that was that. And the rest of my time I spent taking in the show. Um, I love San Diego. It's it's. It's one of my favorite shows ever because – not even because of the convention, just because of everything, the experiential stuff around the convention center. It's, that it's much the, is true. It's the closest well, you can get to like Mardi Gras. You it, know? it really is. That, that was actually one of my favorite parts also is that it really – unlike New York because nothing can – even the Super Bowl can't take over New York City. Comic-Con takes over San Diego mm-hmm. and it, it really is great. And you're walking down the street in different neighborhoods and you're seeing signs of it. And it's – that was one of my favorite parts about going. I agree. That's that is really cool. It's because the convention center is right in right in downtown. There's all yeah. these bars and restaurants and nightlife, and you could you know you can leave the convention center at night and go out to a bar and literally bump into yeah. a list celebrities because right. they're all out on the streets right. at the same bars you are, and right. it's just it's a really cool experience. Movie studios and things do crazy activations at restaurants and diners and things. The story I like to tell is, uh, were you? I think you were with us when we were. It was it was me and Ralph. Outside Nerd HQ? Maybe. was that, there was there We were walking down the street in San Diego one night, and I, we walked by a party in a parking lot. It was like literally... No, I wasn't there for that. It was literally just like a fenced-in, like six-foot-high fence parking lot, and there was all these people inside. And there's a stage on the other side, and there's a band playing. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like Weezer. It's like, oh my God, it's Weezer. Weezer's <laughs> playing in this parking lot in San Diego Comic Con. Like, literally, there was, a, it was just a, like 12 months and three weeks out of the year, that is probably just a parking lot. Right. But that night, it was a concert venue. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, we, when, when I went that year with Ralph um, to 2013, the year I went with Bleeding Cool. We happened to luck into getting onto a, a party behind the convention center for Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which was the party game, uh, the pirate game rather. And they had rode a pi- like a full size pirate ship up to the dock with the <laughs> marina right behind the convention center, and they just had this party on this pirate ship, and it was just the craziest thing. That it's just it's a big week long nerd party, the likes of which you probably will never see anywhere else. I thought you were going to tell the story of how. Ralph Puma, our mutual friend, conned his way into the party at Nerd HQ by <coughs> claiming that he was the heir to the Puma apparel empire. <laughs> the Puma sneaker empire, yeah. That's great. Yeah. It worked out. Shit, good for him. Yeah. yeah. I remember he told the bouncer, he's like, I'm Ralph Puma. And the guy's like, well, what does that mean? He's like, Puma, like, like the sneaker. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> Only in San Diego Comic Con, apparently. Yeah. Or I, the West Coast. That seems like a very West Coast thing to pull off. I suppose. But I mean, I have to say, the two times I went in 2011 for the documentary and then last year with Bleeding Cool, uh, you know, I'm glad I went. The 2011 experience satisfied me for a while sure. that I didn't need to go again. Yeah. And then similarly, I think I'm good for a while after this. The Bleeding Cool aspect was interesting. I agree. It's, it's a great way to get to the show and um, you don't get special access to you know panels or anything like that. But there's the press room, which is mm-hmm. cool to be able to go to oh, and I didn't sit even, down. I didn't <laughs> even go there. Yeah. There's a press room? Yeah. Yeah. And well, you have one in New York too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, cool. and, and it is, it is great to, to, it's one of the benefits also of being media is that I can go someplace to charge my phone and sit down and catch my breath and, you know, pay $5 for a hot dog. As far as the reporting aspect, just to touch on this briefly, you know, going for Bleeding Cool, I know people have different opinions on Bleeding Cool and its place. In, oh, I got hot takes. It, do you want, you do want to share? No. No? <laughs> but, you know, it's place in the industry and in journalism, and that is what it is. But I, I was grateful to be able to go on Bleeding Cool's behalf and get into the show and all of that. But I had this moment where I was covering the Big Bang Theory panel. Right. So I watched the show, I enjoyed, and they were doing a panel. Nobody else was looking to cover it. So I was like, I'll go. So, you know, just like you were describing. And it was, the panel featured most of the writers, and Melissa Roush, who plays Bernadette, she moderated. It was a fun panel. You know, for Bleeding Cool and for a lot of these sites, I know it's important to, you know, to be first, to, or to be one of the first to, you know, break news and, and all of that. And during the panel, they announced that Katie Segal would be playing Penny's mother in the upcoming season, which has now just concluded. And... Like, I got sucked into it. I had my phone, and I was emailing Rich, and I was like, ah, oh, they just announced Katie Seagal. Because I'm thinking to myself, not even taking into account the fact that there were all of these other people around me they were, mm-hmm. who were all likely either posting directly to their websites right. or posting on Twitter or whatever. So the news was getting out there before I was doing anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I got caught up in that moment of like, oh, we're going to be the first ones to break this. And once that moment passed, it was a little disillusioned. I don't know, where I'm like, this is... I don't want to say pointless because I don't mean to demean the work that that anybody does. And I know, again, for a site like Bleeding Cool, like to be able to to break news like that, that gets people to the site, that allows them to you know generate more money and ad revenue. And like I get it, but from my perspective, I'm like this is not really my bag. What I enjoy, really enjoyed though, the flip of that, I attended a panel with Paul Dini where he was talking about his Dark Knight uh, autobiographical graphic novel. Right. Which is a beautiful book, and oh, if, for an Eisner this year, yeah, I mean, oh, if, if yeah. you know you haven't read it, like yeah. it, it's really worth a read. And the panel was great; it was a one-on-one conversation with him. Uh, I actually met him briefly uh, on the convention floor a little little while after that, and I wrote a piece about that. And again, mostly just a summary of the panel. But at least with that, I felt like I was contributing something, like raising awareness of this book and 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 you know writing about it. I don't know. I just I got more out of that than I did breaking the news that so and so was playing somebody's mom on a show. Well that that you're speaking kind of the heart of thirteenth dimension, which is what I do because I'm a small I mean I'm not bleeding cool, you know. And it you know bleeding cool to use the, the metaphor is a major movie studio. You know, I'm an independent, you know, film producer, that sort of thing. I do my thing over here. And someone like me, and I have a couple of people who usually help me out at like New York Comic Con, there's no way I'm going to be able to, quote unquote, break news. Because frankly, everything that comes out of those panels, like you say, everybody does it. And you're basically just dividing up whatever audience there is. So when I, do a, when I cover a convention, I often don't cover... Uh, there are some exceptions because there are certain things that I cover that I know that my readers are really, really looking for and are really going to be interested in and things that other more general interest uh, websites might not be as interested in. So there are, there's definitely that segment of, you know, that I'll go for. 
you know, for example, we did, you know, with all of the Batman 66, you know, Return of the Cape Crusader stuff last year, that's, that's the heart of my readership, that kind of that retro cool kind of thing that, 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 that it's a term that a friend of mine actually, you know, used for the website. And I was like, I'm going to use that from now on. Um, that kind of thing that we do, you know, a lot of, and that worked out really well, but mostly I'll go just to network, you know, do some interviews here and longer term things. Because again, when you're, when you're talking about, um, a lot of these panels, the news is either already out there or everybody's going to put the same headline on it. And I'd rather find the one line that I can then feed off of for even maybe a month from that. I'll give an example. When I, a few years ago, um, when, um, Neil Adams was doing uh, the coming of the Superman. And so he was over at the DC booth and, you know, I love Neil. I've been, you know, you know, working with him and, and his family for, you know, for years now. And so I went and I sat down with him and we were talking about the project. And as part of the conversation, he just drops this line about how he was a better artist than Jack Kirby. So I put that one in my back pocket and I said, I'm going to come back to that. But right now we're going to continue to talk about coming with the Superman. And I understood what he was saying and he, and there was a context to it. And, but of course it was the kind of thing that I knew that readers were just going to go, what, what, what? So I'll go for that sort of thing, but I'm not going to go chase the next, you know, casting decision or, or, you know, that sort of, you know, or so-and-so is going to be on this kind of book. But, you know, that's where comicbook.com comes in, CBR comes in, Newsarama comes in, Bleeding Cool comes in. It's what they do. It's, you know, and I'm frankly, for guys like me, I'm glad that they do it because that's also how I get a lot of my information. Right. And then, yeah, you can carve out your own place. Right, exactly. Can, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, of course, you know, as we both said, one of the reasons we went for Bleeding Cool was that it was a way to get tickets to a right. show. I mean, that's yeah. something that, I mean, these shows are increasingly difficult right. to even get into. And of course, you know, New York Comic Con, well, Reed Pop specifically, made news when they announced that they were no longer selling weekend passes, but instead they were just going to be day passes. So what was the what was the thinking behind that? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't. Um, as a fan, I would guess... It, you want to give more people an opportunity to attend the show? That that was the the stated as part of the announcement. They figured if you have four different groups of people going ostensibly, rather than maybe the same people hogging the the four day passes, and they probably found that a, po- a lot of people got four day passes, but maybe they weren't showing up on Sunday. That's true. Or maybe they weren't showing up on certain days, and they kind of figured out if they actually sell day to day more people have more opportunity to get those tickets. And I can understand the frustration behind not being able to get a weekend pass because what if you get shut out on Saturday? You know, your other option was to get that weekend pass and pay the extra, you know, whatever. But it it does seem more democratic to sell, you know, by the day. Yeah, no, it does make sense. I mean, I'm curious to see if other shows, specifically San Diego, might follow suit at some point. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I'm, I'm anxious to see, especially because where, where they're at and, and how they've grown over the past. I mean, it's been a steady growth for 10 years at this yeah. point, but especially in the last like three or four years to yeah. see where they go, how they how they continue to grow, because I don't think you can even put any more people into that convention center. <laughs> no. You really can't. Like, Which was also probably the thinking, too, is that they can't add people, so they might as well open the pool up to more people that can yeah. get in. On that note of growth, uh, recently, I was reading or rereading some of Mark Wade's original run on The Flash in single issue form. It's they're they're among the final uh, single issues that I still have in my collection. Mostly everything else is, is trades at this point. But one of the cool things about reading the single issues is you get to see the ads at the time, which they're always interesting. That's yeah, the best. And seeing ads for comic conventions that were taking place, and most of them were in like hotel ballrooms sure. or, or something like that. So they've grown so much. I mean, Dan, what was your first show that you attended? In a hotel ballroom. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, actually, you know, it's it's. Uh, do do either of you have siblings? Yes, only child. Only child. I, my son's an only child. Are you? Uh, you have you older? Or I'm the youngest. Younger? You're yeah. the youngest. Okay, so then you know. You know, I have an older sister. She's about four and a half years older than me. So you know, you know that there are certain things that the older child brings into the into the house. For our situation, of course. Typically, she brought the music in. She was a you know, teenage girl, and I, of course, followed suit. So, you know, whatever she had, I listened to. And we were a big Beatles house. And and we, um, we there was a Beatles fest. This was 1979. And, you know, just like it sounds, it was basically a Beatles convention. It was this hotel in New York City. And we, my you know, Paula convinced my mom to take us in. And so we went in. I think it was like a Friday night. But we go to this hotel and, you know, we're, we're, we're all excited and we by mistake get off on the wrong floor. And on that floor was a comic book convention. That's great. <laughs> now, my eyes, I, I, I probably sprained my eyelids. That would they popped wide. I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, Ma, can I, can I go take a look? And she's like, you know, Daniel, we, we're, we're going up to the, I'm like, no, no, I got I to gotta see this. So, you know, my mom was pretty cool. So I go over to look inside you know, this, this open door. And sure enough, there's like this room full of just comic book stuff. And I turned to her and I better, like, Ma, please, you got to let me go. You got to let me go. And she's like, Daniel, we're really here for, you know, for Beetlefest. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And she's, I'm like, no, please, please, I'll, I'll meet you upstairs. I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be okay. She's like, okay. So she gives me a couple of bucks for whatever the, the door, you know, cost was. And she gave me a little spending money, which was, I think like my memory is like it was 10 bucks, which I'm like, that's all. And of course, 10 bucks in 1979 was pretty good. But she's like, look, this, you know, you take what you can get, kid. So off I went, and I went in, and it was a, a life-changing experience. It was my first comic. I didn't even know something like that existed. You know, you're talking about a time when comic book stores were only starting to proliferate. This was still a time when, you know, the 7-Eleven, the, the, the mom-and-pop newsstand, the stationery store, whatever it is, still had comics. This idea that you can go into this one place, it was like going to Oz, and... And I, you know, and since I only had a you know a couple of bucks in my pocket, I even remember the first comics that I looked at there. They were two Batman issues from the '60s. You know, I was just starting to become a collector at that point, as opposed to just a reader or a kid who just got some comic books. And you know, when when it all, when everything was said and done with, I went back upstairs. You know, met my mom and my sister back up at Beetlefest. I'm like, I got to go for one of these for real. And so the next time there was like a creation convention in town at the Hotel Pennsylvania across from Madison Square Garden. And that was like the first time I, I really went and spent an entire day. And, you know, ever since, you know, I've been going on and off for, you know, what, what however many years that is, you know, 30, 40 years. Do you have an estimate of how many shows you've been to? No, because I, I, I don't know, because I've been, in, I've been going to New York Comic Con forever. I've been, I've been to San Diego. Um, I'm friendly with, you know, as, as when 13th Dimension started, started at the same time as East Coast Comic Con, which, um, you know, the guy who I started the website with, runs New East Coast Comic Con and he and I, you know, were used to collaborate on stuff. I mean, we're still friends and everything, but he went his way and I went my way because I really found that I wasn't really that interested in promoting conventions and he wasn't really that interested in being, you know, in publishing. But, you know, between that and then even the shows like the Big Apple Con and all the shows that have changed their names over the years, I, I've lost count. Speaking of East Coast Comic Con, 
you know, like I said at the top, I mean, you guys have been to far more conventions than I have. I mean, again, I went to New York, I think, three times, San Diego twice, Undiscovered Realm, right in our backyard here for the, the two years. Which is a nice little show this time. It I is, liked yeah. It. it really grew. It was, and it, I, I liked it. Exactly. Yeah, it really did grow nicely, yeah. and I'm excited to see what uh, the third year might bring. Right. Uh, but that's kind of about it. And then uh, last year, I went to East Coast Comic Con for right. the first time. I enjoyed it a lot. You know, going back to what you were saying earlier about the range of shows, I thought it was a, a very nice balance between, you know, maybe a, a tiny show where there's not enough and a show like New York or San Diego where there's way too much. You know, it, it was a nice mix of, you know, you had your creators, you had your vendors, you had your panels. It, there was enough that you could fill a day exploring, but not so much that you were just totally overwhelmed. You're it was a nice East Coast. East Coast, a nice mid-range show, I thought. Yeah, it is. And it's grown a lot, too, because this is a show that started in a bar in Asbury Park. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it was originally the Asbury Park Comic Con. And then it grew very quickly and then went into a hotel down in Asbury. Long story short, there was also New York Comic Fest, which was at the county center a few years ago. Ultimately, it all ended up at, at the Meadowlands as East Coast Comic Con a few years ago. Next year, it's actually going to be a three-day show for the first time. That's oh, cool. Yeah. And the one thing that, because that, the guy who runs it, Cliff Galbraith, is a comics artist himself. And because he knows a lot of people in the industry also. One of the things that he was able to do in getting the show started was, you know, and I was able to help out a little bit early on also because of stuff, people who I was meeting through 13th Dimension, was getting good creators and getting really good guests. I mean, at New York Comic Fest, we had Scott Snyder and Mark Wade that first time out, you know, and since then, you know, we, you know, built upon that both with old school folks like, you know, Neil Adams, who I mentioned earlier, but also really hot names today, you know, who were there, you know, Yannick Paquette was there this year, for example, and Arthur Adams has been there. And, you know, people who have, have filled that range from people who were working in the early 70s and late 60s to people who are working now. So that's been a big deal. But you're right about that, that middle ground is that you can walk from, you know, throughout the entire floor and not feel overwhelmed. New York Comic Con, on the other hand, is there's no competing with New York Comic Con because it's it's a behemoth for all of the good and the bad. But I do like going to some of those middle shows because you do get to kind of breathe that more comic book air sometimes than the, than the more general multimedia kind of experience that these larger shows do now. Yeah, and I think it depends too what, you know, this was one something I wanted to get into as far as what, what you're really looking for out of a convention, right? So if, because there are plenty of guys within the alternate realities group who they like going to shows, but they like the smaller shows because they're yeah. mostly looking to dig through back issue bins right. and buy dollar books. They're right. not necessarily looking to see the pilot of Riverdale right. early, which I did at San Diego. Left. And it was great. <laughs> but, you know, again, if, if you if you want that experience, it's there. But yeah, there are other shows where you can kind of, uh, you know, pursue a slightly different path. I mean, so like for you, Chris, more from the fan perspective, I know you've been working these shows for sure. a while, but just as a fan, I mean, what sorts of things things draw you to a convention what are you looking to get out of them i don't think i was necessarily looking for anything when i first started going to these shows and new york comic-con was actually my first show i went wow. 2007 was my first year oh, yeah, which was their second year they started in 2006 i had been going to comic shops forever like and, you know and having that experience and that camaraderie and that community but it wasn't until i went to a comic convention that it really opened up for me. And I said, wow, like this is, this is like a thing. Like this is bigger than me. There's m more people that are into this than I, than I might've even realized. I mean, it was like before social media had really taken off. Right. I mean, when it's, it's hard to think about a, a time before that. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's funny you say that. I remember, I think it was my first or second comic con. And I remember, I forget which cell phone I had at the time, but there was an email that I was waiting for and I was trying 
to get on the internet and to use my phone to, to <laughs> check my email. And I was like, I couldn't do it. It's amazing. And not that long ago, no, really. But no, because I, actually the, the, the Wi-Fi that you have, it sucks, actually. Yeah, you, you could still have that problem even now. No, that's true. Yeah. Long story short, I mean, it wasn't until I went to a comic convention that I decided I wanted to work in comics. Like that was the decision was going to, to that eye-opening, eye-popping experience and seeing all this stuff and, and all that multimedia. But to get back to your to your real question, um, I think it is the opposite of, of Dan. It's, it's, it's all that other stuff. It's all that TV and that movie and that glitz and that glamour because we're comic guys, comic guys by nature. It's a, it's a, it's a dingy fandom. And I love that about it. It's, it's, it's in hotel ballrooms. It's in dirty comic stores. It's digging through dusty old books. So to see the intersection of that with this, this Hollywood mm. gleam, um, especially, 10 years ago when it was really at the at the rise i mean it had it had happened a little bit earlier i mean san diego was still growing and growing and growing but to to see it um to see the intersection of of our fan our comic fandom with this rise of of hollywood and now now i mean you can't turn on a television no. and see, not stumble over five live action superhero shows that i can't even I can't even imagine having yeah. when I was a kid, yeah. you know, and now like there's just so much of it. I can't even consume it all. And I'm just like, no. Oh, I can't watch it. You know? So it, it, it's literally the exact opposite of, of, of Dan's experience, but in a good way, you know, I mean, there's, there's something for everybody at these shows, which I think is cool. And, and I'm grateful that now that I've gotten to work on them and I'm grateful that I get to continue to work on them because I really do genuinely hope I get to provide that experience for somebody else. It's what I actually enjoy going to modern show now. It's, it's going to sound quaint, but I actually like just to go shopping. I really, oh, just, yeah, me too. I really do. Yeah, I me mean, too. I, I will spend, you know, I, I'm always, whatever I'm doing there, whether I'm doing interviews or whether I'm, you know, meeting people for a coffee or doing whatever it is, it, you know, I, I always am, you know, I, I'll schedule the day and I'll always, you know, my return is, go back to the floor to go shopping and I save the money up for, you know, over the year to make sure that I have enough in my pocket. If I want to make that big splurge, if there's an old golden age book that I don't get to see on a regular basis and maybe I don't want to buy it online because I'm not sure what the, what it's going to look like or, you know, or, or even finding that surprise book. Like I've like at East coast comic-con, uh, not this past year, but the year before, I just happened to be walking by a booth and it was kind of slow and things were winding down and sitting there on the, on the, you know, on the wall of this one, uh, this, you know, uh, stand was a really, really nice copy of Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-three. This is the famous Steve Ditko cover with the final chapter with the with the machinery. Sure. And I looked at it and I saw the price, and it was forty-five bucks. And it was, I'm telling you guys, it looked like it was off the rack. I just jumped out of my chair. Right, you did, you did. You actually yeah, physically jumped out of your chair. I would have bought that in a second. Right, and I did. (laughs) And and the guy guy who's a dealer, uh, I know the guy, so I said, if I open that up, what am I going to find missing? And he says, nothing. He says, fine. I'm like, 45. He's like, yeah, take my money. And I bought it right then and there, and it was my buy of the, it, it made the whole weekend. And I, you know, and it's and it's just because for those exciting moments of finding that thing or seeing that, you know, I love that. I still love that thrill of the hunt that that comes with coming with a comic book fan. And then when you go to a New York Comic Con, 
it's an abundance. I mean, there's just tons of it. And so that's really, really cool and a lot of fun. But again, you know, for me on a, on a more professional side of thing, it's also the, the networking and all that stuff I like to do. I just found that after a while, and, and, and you made the, the, the point just now, Chris, about social media and how it's changed things, that before that, um, those panels used to make news. And this was even before I was doing 13th Dimension. I mean, as a fan, I would go to the Batman panel every time because they would make announcements and you'd get excited and yay, cool, something's gonna, you know. And you'd kind of parse the words and all that kind of stuff was a lot of fun. But now it just, it, it, it doesn't hold that, you know, allure to me. They do make certain announcements, but even now everybody will have it within an instant and then the creators can say, and it's gonna be great. And that's all they can say. And, and, and you're pressed too, so you know how it works, and I right. know how it works from being on the other yeah. side. You have that stuff ahead of time right. now. Exactly. I mean, the, the the announcement is ready, ready to rock and right. roll in in your hands and in the right. CBRs and of the world's hands to just hit publish right. as soon as the panel. Yeah, starts, there, there are you know? embargoes that go on. Like you'll get wind of something a week beforehand, and I'll contact a, a you know someone on you know one of the companies and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm interested in that. What can we do now to prep for it? And they'll say, okay, blah, 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 blah. This is what I can tell you. And then I'm ready to go, boom. And I don't have to be in the building to do it. And that has changed things. So the, the experience that I have, and I, and, I do, and I don't mean to sound jaded or, or, or pampered or anything like that. It's just that why I go to a show has changed. And the, the interesting thing about it is that the reason I go to the shows more now on a personal level is more like the kind of the reason I went when I was 15 which was because I want to go and check out really cool comics. And that's, and that in itself is a really cool thing because it's still, it's still about comic books for me. I love hearing about, I mean, your experiences generally, but especially Dan, you know, your, that earliest experience at a time, as you said, when, you know, there really weren't that many comic shops and they weren't no. in abundance. So that was your only opportunity to it, be in a place that was dedicated to selling comics. Like it it's was amazing. the Emerald City. Yeah. It really, really was. It was, and not to be uh, uh, sacrilegious or anything, uh, but you did feel like the skies had opened up and a light shone down, and there was this special place. And oh my god! And even from a from a from a from a very early standpoint, I learned how to work the room and figure out, you know, don't buy the first thing you see, yeah. and but don't make sure that it's so rare that you might it might be gone by the time you get back and how to walk that line and yeah, how don't to be a flat squirrel. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> how to hat, you know, how to handle properly and all of those things that you learn and, and the fact that you can get a deal on almost anything that you buy. But when I used to, when I started going to, to New York comic con and going to those panels, that was really, really exciting. So I don't want to knock that down for your, your listeners who are into that kind of thing, but just on a personal level, yeah. I still enjoy, and I like to carve out that part of the convention that kind of speaks to that, you know, that kid me, that really reminds me of why I love comics as much as I do. So it all started from that show that yeah. I got off the the wrong floor on an elevator, you know, when I was 12 years old. Yeah, these turns that you take that take you, you down a path. Exactly. Going back, though, to, you know, how much you enjoy shopping, you probably are able to accomplish more than fans who are interested in, you know, panels or getting original art. Because, I mean, I've, I've talked about this on the show before, I think, on the, on the other podcast, but I killed a whole day waiting for a piece of original art, a uh, Superman piece by Francis Manipal. Right. And it's great. It's hanging up in my bedroom. I love it. It was worth it. But that was my whole day. Yeah, I couldn't. I don't have that kind of patience. Yeah, you know? I mean, now yeah. now we get to talking about the, the dark side of conventions, which is the lines. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst. Well, it's, it, But even so, even with the shopping, it's, I mean, you got to come in, you, you have to dress for combat. 
You know, in, in that, you know, you just have to go and know you're going to be bumped and jostled and that you're going to have to be patient and you're going to have to wait for the guy who's spread out across four or five long boxes with three different lists and he's taking his sweet ass time and you just want to sneak in there and see what he's got under the detective comics area that you just want to poke into. And so there's that kind of, you know, that kind of weirdness that, that, that enters into it. And you got to navigate around all the people and yeah. you've got to navigate around that giant guy in a bumblebee costume right. who's like on stilts and right. it's just like, yeah. why'd you even bring that? Yeah. You know, it's there's that one guy who dresses up as man bat every year and he's like eight feet tall and it's just <laughs> with his gigantic wings. It's, oh. He's got to stop every five yeah, feet yeah. to take up. Right, because everybody wants a picture. picture He's so, got to do the wing thing. Right, the wing, yeah. yeah. And so you just don't want to get caught behind him. It's like getting caught behind a school bus in rush hour. There are thousands of people who go to New York Comic Con every year who just have pictures of the side of my head because I just walk in front of people's pictures. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, I got places to yeah. go. I got to gotta get through here. You know? Although one of my favorite things to do at New York Comic Con every year is actually to go up to the cosplayers because I'll pick out like 13 of them because um, we count in increments of 13 at 13th dimension. It's total shtick but that's what we do um and just ask them like you know what do you do when you're not doing this and just just get the the basic answer and it's always interesting to see the cross-section of people who and it's everything it's everything that you can imagine yeah what are some of the most interesting yeah, ones you come across? yeah it really is cool i mean it's just and it's 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 interesting because it's so mundane you know it's not like a, you know neurosurgeon you know rocket scientist no it's you know office worker student it's, you know, uh, a construction worker, it's teacher, it's uh, administrative. I mean, it's just the fact that it's, and that's the part where you were talking about before, where, you know, the, the intersection of the worlds now between comic books and movies and television is that through cosplay, you see a lot of it. And it's people who are really, really passionate about this in a way that I never, you know, it's just not my thing. I, I'll wear my t-shirt. I mean, I'm wearing a Batman t-shirt right now. I wear them every day. But I'll just pick what, okay, what's my favorite t-shirt? And that's what I'll wear at New York Comic Con this year. But I don't think about, you know, dressing up. It's just not my thing. But I really admire the, the courage of the people who do it and, the, and the, the commitment to some of those costumes. And then when you realize that they are just like you and me, I mean, they're just anybody. And it's, it, there's something really, really cool about that way the, that fandom manifests itself. It's it just amazing. does not compute. It just does. It does right. I don't, I can't understand it, but I can see how someone getting into this, this world of fandom well, it's, could it's, go down It's transformative. That and uh, yeah, I, I, it's, 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 I find it endearing. I really do. I love it. And I, it's one of my favorite parts of going just simply to see, you know, and particularly because some people really take a lot of care with their costumes and yeah. the, the level of artistic detail that goes into it is, is really impressive. So I want to shift a little bit and get back to maybe more the, the practical side, the tactical side. You know, we've talked about how grueling a convention yeah. can be at San Diego last year. I overheard something in the men's room that I think summed up Conventions pretty well. Wow. <laughs> someone walked in. <laughs> That's a segue. Someone <laughs> someone walked in and said, is this the line for the urinals? And it's like, no matter where you go, you're waiting on a line, at least yeah. at those big shows. So I guess my question for you, do you guys have any any techniques, any yes. survival tips, any something that's in your your backpack that you always have with you what 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 are some of those things hand sanitizer yes first and foremost i will have two or three of them just in case because it's disgusting on a really hot by, by two or three o'clock in the afternoon on a on a saturday at new york comic-con everybody's moist it's nasty <laughs> and Vile, I, it, it really it can be bad and not to knock it not not to tell anybody not to go or anything it's just be prepared for it you just have to set your mind to it it reminds me of a friend of mine an old, old college roommate who used to say when you know whenever he'd go out to a club he always said i think i used the term before dressing for combat 
you know, if you're not cosplaying and you're not there to, to, to wear, you know, don't wear your favorite, you know, pair of shoes. Don't wear dress comfortably, dress, wear shoes that are comfortable. Make sure you do stop to actually eat something at least halfway through. Make sure you have something to drink, whether it's water, stay hydrated. I mean, I know it sounds like, no, it sounds like your mother, it's but these good are, advice, but it really though, yeah, is good it really advice. Is. But the, the, the thing it's, and, um, you know, and, and, and do everyone else around you a favor and shower before you come, please. Um, but I, I know that's playing to an old stereotype, but it still exists. Well, at PAX a couple of years ago, they, they Axe was one of the sponsors and they gave out Axe body spray because everyone smells so terrible at these shows. Like yeah, that right. was their giveaway. Well, in, in San Diego, <laughs> when I was there, they were the, one of the, um, one of the companies was giving out underarm deodorant. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, I think it might've been Mattel because it was, um, it was a uh, masters of the universe brand, uh, 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 deodorant it was it was hysterical um but the other thing is that you know besides just the fear phys- the sheer physical survival of it it's the mental survival understand going in that there is a chance that you will not get to do everything that you want to do don't let that ruin your day because it's you if, especially if you're a first timer or a first timer at a really big show there's a chance that you don't understand just how how difficult it is to get from point A to point B. So have a plan, you know, get the, get, check out the programming ahead of time, make your schedule, figure you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do the other thing, but be prepared to give something up because sometimes you have to do that and you just can't get to do everything that you want to do at these, at these massive shows. Yeah. That mental stuff is, is everything. I mean, I, I mean, you went to San Diego twice. I, I mean, when I went the first time I left, devastated because I didn't get to do literally any of the things I wanted to do. Prioritize. Um, it's really important. And then the second, the second time I went, I, um, I just said to myself, like, it would be cool if I get to do this stuff. I'm probably not going to. So just don't, don't get into your head. Don't, don't, you know, don't get fear of missing out. Don't get any FOMO about it. You're probably not going to get to do any of it. So just be prepared for that. When I went the first time, I, you know, they, some, some conventions clear the rooms out, some don't, which is a big deal because you, yeah. you, you get in line way ahead of time for a panel that you, you want to, you want to uh, be a part of. And I remember like number one on my list of things to do when I went to San Diego that first time with you was I wanted to see this community panel, the show community. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember you. Do you remember this story? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I ever told you this story though. Um, and I, uh, it was, the show was going into, I guess it was going into its third season or maybe its second season and they had the whole cast there. And right after that, it was, it was at, um, it was at the Hilton or the Hyatt, one of the hotels that are, that flank, um, San Diego in one of the big ballrooms. And right after that panel was a, was a Joss Whedon, like one-on-one panel. He was just going to be there and he was going to be shooting the shit for an hour. And everyone went to the room early like like first thing in the day and just yeah. sat in the room all day because they wanted to be here for this joss whedon panel and so i got in line for this community panel like an hour and a half early and i'm like oh, i'm totally gonna get into this thing it's gonna be great and of course i did not and i'm stuck sitting outside in the hot sun yeah. the line extended all the way out and and you know it was, just, it was really it was very upsetting but i made some friends while i was in line so <laughs> Um, Dan, Dan really covered the physical and, and emotional aspect of it. But as far as like the dressing for combat thing, like bring a backpack cause yeah. you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff you're going to want to carry around. Yeah. You're not going to want to carry it around in the, in either the giant con bag they bring give you empty. or bring do an empty bring, bag. Yeah. yeah. If you do bring a drink, if it's raining out, do bring your umbrella. But if it's going to be a sunny day, don't bring for every, you know, 
I, I know they're not fashionable, but cargo shorts are great for a convention sure. or cargo pants because you get extra pockets. pockets yeah. I mean, it really is. It's like dressing for combat. I wear a lot sure. of skinny jeans. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't don't wear uncomfortable clothes. Yeah. But but you that that stuff is heavier than mm. you think. You know, you you put. You, you, a, a couple of trades and a couple of bags and boards and you know all day it yeah, adds up and it adds you, up that five it, pounds feels like 50 by right, the end exactly. of the day and it's and if you're going to go for you know into artist alley because that, that one artist is going to be there and you want to make sure that you have a chance at getting a commission make sure you understand that person's schedule how popular that person is whether you should go there first thing and the, 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 the thing I can always stress is really make that priority is figure out the one thing that you really, that, that it will make your show. And if you make your show about that and then fill in the blanks after that, then it makes it easier that you could focus on the big stuff, know that you're going to get this, or at least understand that there's a better chance if you focus on the one thing. And then at least, you know, you've, you've gotten the one thing that you're happy with and everything else kind of mm-hmm. can fill in, but don't expect to get five great panels in or you know, all this kind of stuff, you have to be realistic. Well, I hope listeners take all of that advice to heart. It is great advice. Oh, also, wait, one last thing. These are very common now, but I, I mean, I remember being one of the first people at conventions that had them, but like a portable battery pack yeah. is like yeah. is yeah. like do or die now because yeah. you're going to be standing in line for a long time. I'm glad you brought that m- up. Multiple times. And what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to take a phone out. I always, I like your yeah, phone will absolutely. die. Always. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is definitely very handy. As far as the dressing for combat, this, this always makes me laugh. One of the years I went to New York Comic Con, one of the guys from Alternate Realities, Delando, I don't know if you know Roby. No, I don't think so. Maybe, Maybe by face. Maybe. But it was, I think, his first time there. He's more of a casual fan or convention goer, but a little too casual. I ran into him on the convention floor. He's in flip-flops. Yeah, forget that. No backpack and nursing a hangover and i'm like well, what are you doing this is not how you go to a comic book convention actually you know i envy guys like that because i wish i could be that guy but i'm just not you know and and i wouldn't recommend unless you're naturally that way i wouldn't recommend doing it that way either no sundays are particularly brutal because saturday is usually the night that everyone yeah. like at the con go like the creators and, and oh, so that's when artist out. alley is hung over. yeah exactly yeah. sunday yeah. sunday is particularly yeah. brutal for that yeah. As far as the waiting, though, you know, I'm at the point now, and, and this is not to, you know, for anyone who enjoys waiting in line and loves getting into those panels, like right on. I'm at the point now, I don't, I don't know that there's any person or anything that could be said that would get me to wait for hours, period. I, I don't know. Even my favorite thing, like even if they were doing a Smallville panel, a Smallville reunion panel, my favorite show, I love it. But if I had to get in line at the crack of dawn, I, I wouldn't do it. I just, especially since it will be covered and perhaps even filmed right. and I'll get to see it some way or, or hear about it. It's like, I just, I don't have it in me. There are still, there are a few things that would get me to get in line for something like a very scant few things. But as I've gotten older, my time is much more valuable yeah. to me. And I just don't, I don't have the, the effort or the energy to just sit in line all day. Um, when I told that story about how I went to, um, that party on the, on the pirate ship, um, out back of San Diego. Right. And as I'm walking, you know, there's a, there's a, a pathway that goes around the back of the convention center and, and, Mm -hmm. and you, you walk along the marina and the length, if you've been to San Diego, the convention center is huge. It takes, it literally takes 10 minutes just to walk from one end to the other outside on a straightaway. So imagine when you're inside and you're, you know, jammed in the aisles, but walking on the back of the marina and it's, it's. As far as the eye can see down are people in sleeping bags, yeah. just laying in sleeping yeah, bags, waiting thing. to get in the next morning to the big, the Hall H stuff, like the, the Marvel panels or the, the, the studios panels. And it's just like, I mean, 
why? I mean, that stuff's going to be online in okay. like a month it's or two. It's not only just that they're going to be online. You don't actually necessarily know what you're going to get because one, totally. of the, one of the big lines, think about what you just described. I saw the same thing. And you know what they were online for the year I went to San Diego? The preview for Green Lantern. So you just, <laughs> you talk about a lesson. Yeah. You know, it's a I mean, roll that, of the dice. Yeah. And yeah. We, we considered it because at the time I was like, oh, that's awesome. They're going to have a Green Lantern movie. Yeah. Who knew what we were in for? But that's also what you're dealing with. You're dealing with these ungodly lines. And sometimes you have to realize, wait, ungodly lines for a 90-second clip, not really that worth it. And sometimes, and it may be for you. It may be that's still what you're into. And I don't mean to knock it. I'm just saying that I'm at a point where there, and like you just said, there's very little that kind of speaks to me on that level. But then those those things that do really do, which is why I was, I made a point that I wanted to go to, you know, like I said, the, 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 Batman 66 animated movie premiere, there was no way I was going to miss that, A, for my for what I do with 13th Dimension, but on a personal level, I really wanted to be there for that. And But those things are far and few between. There's some experiential stuff to it. I mean, there's that component, like you mentioned the Nathan Fillion thing earlier, like hearing the rumor up. Like, I've been in those rooms where it erupts, and it's it's very cool. It is fun. I mean, it, it's especially fun. if you're well-situated. Well communal. Situated. It's, yeah, it's, and everybody exactly. lets yeah. their, sharing Everybody that. lets the flag fly. That's the other thing. Is that everybody, there is a sense that you are among your people. And that part of it is really, really good, too. But, I mean, uh, nine times out of ten, I mean, if you've been in, in those rooms, they're big. They're like stadiums. They're like arenas. They seat 5,000 people, you know? Right. And you're, you know, you're like nine miles away, and you're you're right. watching these people, these celebrities who you love or you're fans of on a screen most of the time. Right. So, I mean, if you're up front, it's different. I mean, being, it's that whole I was there kind of thing. It's completely unlike anything in the world. I mean, for, we, we've, we've shared a lot of good. We've shared a lot of bad, but really, like, there is nothing like it. I mean, and it's something that really needs to be experienced for yourself, both the big and the small conventions. I mean, it's it, it's wholly unique, much like the comic book medium itself. Um, and go to C2E2 this year because I'm working on that show and I want to make it I big. I wanted to so, go to C2E2. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, it's a celebration. And that's the, that's the thing that is that, and I mentioned it earlier, we said people let their flags fly. It's a... It's an opportunity for people who are into this sort of thing to gather in one place and be the majority. You know, even though it is since the, the, you know, the geeks have inherited the earth, you know, in, you know, when you talk about television, you talk about movies and all that kind of stuff. But even so, it's not the same thing as being going to this one gathering place where everybody is really, really, really into it and celebrating this stuff. However, it is whether they're dressing up or buying stuff or going to panels, there, there is a there is something um, really exciting and, and exulting about the whole thing. And now, here are the hard-traveling heroes. To my right, he is the creator of the Pick series of graphic novels from Image Comics and the host of the Stuff Said and Cruising Together podcasts. Greg Shegel, welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope people aren't sick of me yet. <laughs> yeah, you become a frequent guest. Yeah, no kidding. Well, there's a reason for that, though. Uh, you're going to say nice things about me. <laughs> <laughs> and the same can also be said for our other guest to my left. He is the owner of Undiscovered Realm in White Plains, New York, and the organizer of the Undiscovered Realm Comic Con, Chris Wilcock. Thank you for joining us. Hey, everyone. And I want to echo the I hope you're not sick of me too thing. <laughs> but I really do love being on, so thanks. Now it's great to have both of you. So this is our Hard Traveling Heroes episode. Much like Green Lantern and Green Arrow in the uh, 1970s series of comics, uh, we've all done our fair share of traveling across the country. We've traveled to comic shops, conventions, signings, film festivals, weddings, concerts, you name it. 
And sometimes what happens on the road can be even more memorable than the events themselves. <laughs> so that's mostly what I kind of want to get into today. But before we get into specific instances, just a, a quick question for each of you. Do you guys enjoy traveling or is it more of a necessary part, a necessary evil to being a comic creator or a Funko Pop vendor? Depends where you're going is really what it comes down to. So I would say I don't dislike traveling. It used to be easier before there was uh, things like the TSA and all these hassles to get into onto an airplane because if you're traveling with a computer and everything, it just slows everything down. But really, it depends where you're going. It depends why you're going. So for me, it's mostly going to conventions. And if you're going to somewhere cool, it's great and an excuse to try new things and go to new restaurants and go to grocery stores, as everybody knows I like to do. Uh, or now they all know. Um, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, in the live special, uh, the live, my comic shop history special recorded at, uh, undiscovered realm comic con, you were one of my guests, right? And it became this recurring theme yeah. that you like checking out the grocery stores in whatever town you visit. Yes. Uh, so, and I like, I like eating at, at places that are specific to that area or what have you. So in those cases, uh, travel can be a lot of fun. And then, I've often said the best thing about conventions is everything that happens when you're not at the convention. So post-show, you're hanging out with other creators or what have you and just having a good time sketching at a hotel lobby or in hotel rooms. So in that regard, traveling is great. It's not great because uh, the other metaphor I use, and this is a sports metaphor, is it's almost like you're playing a football game. Like your job is a football game. And then you call a timeout to go to a convention. But during that timeout, you're running wind sprints. So you're just, you're doing all the same work, but you're gaining no yardage. You're not actually furthering your day job. You're just, you're going out to this thing and you're working your butt off for three, sometimes four days if it's something like San Diego, New York Comic Con. And then you get back and you have to start playing that football game again. And you're like, it, it can be, it can wipe you out pretty good. I like how he kicks off this uh, show that will primarily be listened to by comic book fans yeah. with the sports analogy. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. It's a good analogy though. Right? It's yeah. pretty good. Cause you know, you, you're running a store, right? And then you yeah, leave that store. Hard. Yeah. And you're working probably twice as hard because you're hustling and you're in close proximity to other stores. Yeah. And you got to go back to your store. Yeah. And yeah keep it's, working. It's, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's like, certainly not uh, a vacation. No. But it has its perks, right? Like I, everyone asks that question a lot. And, you know, a lot of what you said is the same, but because you're, you're kind of, we, we have to sell stuff. So we're not stopping selling. You know, it's like an extension of work, but a lot of the same things ring true. Like, the traveling's fun. We and we also don't have we don't get to fly anywhere because we got to lug a giant trailer. Right. So it's a little more tedious if we have to do like a New Orleans twenty five hour drive or Chicago, you know, things like that. So now these like three, four, five hour drives seem like a breeze. Um, so it's cool because you look forward to doing the shows and seeing everybody, and you really do start to see the same people every week. Some you know eighty percent of it's the same vendors, and it becomes like a little tight in a family, you know. But you do miss being home, relaxing, you know, seeing your wife, your dog, you know things like that and it does take away from the store it's hard because like when we're on the drives if i'm not driving i'm literally making orders answering emails doing questions so it makes an already hard job twice as hard and if you're in the middle of a show you can't really stop to answer emails and things like that so it, it, it's 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 a lot of fun but it's a ton of work so it's it's hard to complain because most people won't understand they'll be like oh i love going to cons i only get to go to one a year right and how could you be upset about it and you know it's just it's a different world really yeah, your drives. So, I mean, I, obviously, I follow all of your posts on yeah. Facebook and Instagram and stuff. You know, you do a lot. So, I guess overall, you you know, your your record is a good one. But some of the some of the bad luck. That you <laughs> yeah. Into, 
because I'm seeing this stuff. I mean, you know, flat tires and stuck in snow and, and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Boxes, you know, yeah, toppled yeah, yeah. over. Well, I guess the more you do, the the higher the uh, the chance you're going to have a problem, right? So, so it might seem a little more than it, it is, but yeah, you, you're going to run into these things. We've we've luckily nothing too too crazy, but you really do run into everything, and it, it just seems to always rain. <laughs> If you have a 15-hour drive or you have to unload an entire trailer, it just seems to only pour on those days. And it's it's been ridiculous. Like the last three months, every show, it's just a downpour. That's getting a little old. Yeah. You know, Greg, going back to what you were saying about, you know, TSA restrictions and all yeah. of that. So, you know, I've been traveling for work and, and a wedding and, and a few things. But, you know, one of the main things that I'm doing now is traveling to different stores in different parts of the country, different comic shops to record the other show with them. And um, so one of my goals has been making my podcast set up as portable as possible. So uh, the first trip that I took, I, I used my, my existing mixer, which is a larger Mackie mixer yep. in its own bag. So I had two bags, one with the mixer, one with everything else. It got not confiscated, but you know, they flagged it and they had to take it out and look at sure. it because it's, it's not a laptop, but I guess it, it looks like that or it looks like it could be well, something. Just, there's a works. lot of circuitry in it. Yes. I'm sure they're yeah. seeing circuits. So then I was like, you know, I don't want to go through this hassle every time. Plus, it would be nice to only have one bag of equipment. So I, I upgraded to the smaller shore mixer that we're using right now. Yep. And I was like, okay, problem solved. And then I just flew to Palm Desert and it got flagged. You know what else will get flagged? What? A box of books. If you just have a stack of books or a stack of magazines in dense. your bag, it just they, they can't see what it is. Just a big block of nothing. And they will they'll go through every... I, oh, I was... Man. This isn't even a show. I was down uh, at home in Florida, and I'd found a stack of comic scene magazines, which is a magazine that's probably before uh, your time, but it was a comic book magazine predating Wizard, wow. uh, and I found like 50 of these things. It was a magazine I really liked, so I packed them in my bag, and the bag got flagged, and they had to go through every, like, they literally went through every one of these magazines to make sure that, I don't even know what they were looking for. Know, anthrax or something? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. So, so, yeah, a stack of books will stop you, a mixer clearly will stop you and yep. uh, i also learned coming back from seattle one year with some uh, salamis uh they will stop those too because these are just these long <laughs> tubes that don't they're like what is that and then they uh they check double check my salamis <laughs> that's can quite you, that's, you, <laughs> that must have been hey. quite the experience <laughs> hope they bought you dinner first um, at least could you uh could you get pre-screened like for like having electronics or something like that if you're traveling that much i don't know I mean, I, there's there's that TSA pre-check, but I don't know what that covers or doesn't cover. Yeah, yeah you are. I mean, you're paying for that, but I know it might be worth it. Just well, if you're to, doing it like week in and week out, you, definitely. I mean, if it's every now and again, I guess you just deal with it. Right. Yeah. And coming back from Palm Desert, it didn't get flagged. So, it, you know, it depends on who's working there, too. That's also true. Yeah. Although that airport, um, this was the Palm Springs International Airport, very small airport, uh, very nice, but very small. We got there way too early for our return flight. That's on me. But because uh, <laughs> it was like my usual training of like, you got to get there sure. a couple hours before. And we were even even a little more than that, I think. And it was not necessary. But no joke. The, there was like one main active terminal a gate. Yeah. There was nobody there for a significant period of time. It was completely unattended. It's weird, right? But you're, we're used to like JFK and LaGuardia and yeah. we're New York City and, you know, you go to these places and it, it, it is, it's a joke sometimes. Oh, they're the, you, I you love those small airports. Through. They're the yeah. best. You, yeah. Have you ever flown out of Westchester? I've never flown out of Westchester. I've flown into Islip once. Um, I've flown into like Burbank Airport is much smaller than LAX. Uh, Long Beach Airport is much smaller. Uh, Greensboro Airport is tiny. 
Yeah, so now, Chris, you don't, I mean, obviously, with the conventions, you're not flying. Do you fly a lot uh, generally? Or here and there. More of we, a road trip guy? We would, uh, yeah, now, we would fly for Magic tournaments a lot, um, but now that I've been on the road so much, I, like, good, good, uh, Las Vegas, there's a huge Magic tournament next week, the biggest one, like, ever, basically, and I just have no desire to go. I do not want to travel anywhere I don't need to go. I don't want to fly. I don't want to do anything, so it's kind of diminished a little bit, but, you know, concerts, weddings, things like, you, you know, you were talking about earlier. Um, I still fly for, but it's it's far enough between where I still don't mind it. But I, I could totally understand why if I had to do that every week. I, I think about some of these guys that do shows like the celebrities and things every week in and out, in and out. I just don't know how they do it. It's got to be hell. There so. are, I mean, I I don't think I'm speaking out of school. As, as far as I understand, Mike McCone, comic book artist. Sure. He just, he lived, last time I spoke to him, he lives on the road. He just, really? yeah, just yeah. goes hotel to hotel and does that's, commissions and does covers and that's, yeah, well, just, it cuts down on your overhead a lot. That's for yeah, sure. That's true. If, you don't, if you don't have anything to come home for, we talk about this all the time. Like if I wasn't married or I didn't have a businesses to come, why even come home? You just spend a couple extra days in the city and you get to see the country. You get to, you know, that's the stuff. We're in all these cities and you never get to see them. Everyone's like, oh, it must be great. You're going here. It's like, no, I'm seeing the convention center. It looks exactly like every other convention center. And I'm going back to my hotel room and I'm passing out and I'm waking up and I'm repeating it and then I'm going home. There's no, you know, you get my favorite thing and everyone's like, oh, you want to get a quick bite at like McDonald's? I'm like, no, I want to go to a restaurant. I want to sit down and decompress. And that's the only thing that really changes. And even then, it's just whatever chain usually, unless there's like a notable place in that city. You oh, you got to do the research, man. And it's sometimes, just, uh, sometimes you get burned, which I know happened to you recently. Oh my God. I, yeah. That, that's the worst experience of my life. I got really bad food poisoning about five hours before a 17 or 18 hour drive in the trailer and where was this hell. in chicago because i'm gonna be in chicago oh. in two weeks so i want to uh, avoid I, it I, yeah, I, i'll be there in october so i, I have to <laughs> i have to recommend the restaurant was the coolest thing in the world but the food poisoning wasn't and i'm only one out of the four that got food poisoning. all right um what was the place what'd you order it's, it's i ordered this, ch this chicken sandwich, this giant grilled chicken sandwich um but it was this spy themed restaurant okay um, i don't know if you ever heard of it it was in um Wisconsin for like 30 years is this famous and they just opened the Chicago one like a month before we got there but you you literally go to this nondescript door you walk in there's like an, an a, a, this at midnight oh like this very odd albino man sitting in this room just covered with maps and you know it looks like he's plotting to blow up the world or something and he makes you you come in they lock the door behind you and you have no idea where you are and he starts asking you for like passwords and all this weird stuff and then they make you do all these weird things and then finally they hit a button and this wall just moves and you go down this weird stone spiral staircase into a basement and when you get there you i, I thought we were going to die the entire time i'm not even joking like i was legitimately concerned but you get down there and this is awesome spy themed restaurant and um like everything on the walls like gold you know golden eyes gone and this and that and the other thing and it's fully themed like the waitress comes up and she gives you like a, a dossier with a menu and it. it's really cool the food poisoning wasn't really cool and i suspect it was the weird albino man <laughs> no, i don't think he did it on purpose but he got really mad at me because i asked the waitress because like, everyone's an actor and i was like is that guy really albino and and then he comes down like 20 minutes later walks by stops in his tracks just gives me the death stare right in my eyes and he's like i am albino <laughs> and then walks into the kitchen and i'm like while I'm dying on the road trip, I'm like, maybe, maybe. He cursed you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We All were right. at a wedding uh, just a few weeks ago in Jersey, uh, one of Steph's, my wife's uh, childhood friends, and um, a bunch of people did get food poisoning after from the raw bar. Mm. So I don't do like the clams and oysters, but uh, she and her dad and a few others oh, did, did partake. And uh, that's always a calculated risk. Great. It's like you're. It's gonna happen. It's like it's like riding a motorcycle. Like you're gonna crash eventually. Like it. It might be ten years. It might be a month. But you're eventually gonna get hit. You know. Yeah, I was taken down by one of my favorite foods by burgers yeah. at that uh, Westchester oh, yeah, magazine. Yeah, that. like that 
uh, food festival. They do it every year at Kensico Dam, and they do their burger and beer bash. Right. So sliders from restaurants all across Westchester. I mean, I was in my glory. I was so <laughs> happy. I tried them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really, the worst part is like, for a while after you just don't want to even look at that food again like it just i don't know it's funny though i feel like i got i went back to eating burgers oh that's good sooner than, than, <laughs> than you, you might probably think. should <laughs> if you ever speaking of burgers if you ever find yourself in san diego go to ho dad's okay fantastic san diego's I've, I've, got good food yeah i went to san diego 11 years in a row never went to the zoo never just went to san diego uh i haven't been since 2012 i think it was my last year and the only thing i miss are the places we would eat after the show Hodad's, Phil's Barbecue, the Mexican places with real good tortillas. Ooh, that's yeah. the best thing about the I, I'm not a big West Coast guy at all, but San Diego is like one of the only cities I really, really liked when I was out there. Have you been to San Diego Comic-Con? I would have, but not in like eight years or so. Yeah, and I've never done it as a vendor. Right. Yeah. What's um, the farthest you've gone as a vendor? New Orleans and Chicago. It's about where we draw the line, like the middle of the country. Um, New Orleans was literally a 25-hour straight drive. So you don't cross the Mississippi? We haven't. I, I, I really wanted to uh, to do uh, Emerald City this year, right. but I just couldn't make it work with everything else that was going on. It was too close to our to Undiscovered Rome Comic Con. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to try that next year. Have you ever gone up to Canada? I haven't, just because driving over the border with right. a product, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I've heard horror stories. Now, on your recent trip back from, uh, where were you just coming back from? This week or? Yeah. We just <laughs> came back from Foxwoods. Oh, okay. Is that where all the boxes were toppled? Yeah, over? yeah, on yeah. There? Well, we switched over to like a different system, but I had a a couple friends helping me out um brian o'day being one of them you know everyone yes, knows him for, from the uh, alternate realities regular it wasn't brian that did it by the way but <laughs> they they weren't used to an intricate system so they didn't stack the boxes properly so we go to unload you know we pack everything off it's like hours have gone by you're just ready to throw everything in the trailer and be done and like i open the door and it's just like 70 long boxes of pops just everywhere across the 16 foot channel like, uh, it wasn't the end of the world but it was just like another thing you know <laughs> Now, circling back to our, our hard-traveling heroes yeah. theme here, Chris, I guess I'll toss it to you first because there's something that I, I, I really want to hear more about. <laughs> I saw your post about it, but I want to get the, you know, the first-hand in-person account of this. That incident you had with a cashier on the way back from oh. one of the conventions? That was okay. crazy. Tammy. Yeah. <laughs> so set, um, it, set it up so for So, yeah. Us. So we, we just did a show in Virginia Beach, which was an awful... I, I'm sure it's a nice place, but it, I did not have a good experience the entire time there. But So we drove, I want to say, like eight nine hours we uh we stop we're like five minutes from the hotel finally after straight through drive it's it's something like 4 35 in the morning so we get out there's a walgreens um these new pops had just come out that were and we needed a drink before we go to hotel, whatever so we're like all right we'll get some drinks we'll check the, we'll check for the pops so we go in i'm in there it was set up very odd because it's like a beach town so they they sell a lot of stuff that normal walgreens wouldn't like you know big towels and things like that and um so i couldn't find the aisle where it normally is so i'm like wandering all around a little bit i finally find it I checked the pops, I get down, and, and they I knocked a whole bunch of stuff off the shelf by accident because it was all packed tight together. So, you know, I'm not going to leave it like that. I got down, and I put everything back on the shelf neatly, and I go up to the register with two pops, and I go to check out. So I swipe my card, and she's like, okay, are you going to pay for the stuff in your pockets? And I'm like, what? what? And uh, she's like, yeah, the stuff you put in your pockets. So I immediately get, like, really aggravated, and uh, I'm like, I empty my pockets. I'm like, what? she's like your back pocket and i'm like i don't even have a back pocket lady <laughs> and uh i was like i really don't need to steal like she's like well we've been having a lot of people steal pokemon cards i'm like i really don't need to steal your pokemon meanwhile i got a 16 foot trailer packed with cards outside and <laughs> the weird part was and i'm glad it didn't come up was i had we had just left the store and i had a, a loose thing of cards in my pocket 
they were magic cards, luckily, and they didn't sell them there. But it, it would have been so hard to explain that one, right? So anyway, so we go outside, and I'm like so aggravated. I'm, and uh, all of a sudden, like three cop cars pull up behind the trailer, and I'm like, you know, I, I didn't even in my head think it was related. And uh, so they come over, and they're like, hey. And I'm like, yeah, can I help you? And they're like, where's the other – one of the other guys working for me just got in the van. He's like, get that guy over here. So he comes over. They're like, what did you steal? And I'm like, wow. no. I explained it to them. I'm like, listen, like – it was a misunderstanding, you know, blah, blah, blah. he's like, well, we need to go inside. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So we go in and immediately like the lady's just standing there. I'm like, are you serious? And, and the cop comes over. He's like, so they didn't steal anything. And she like, she wasn't even apologetic, which is what really pissed me off. She's just like, unfortunately, no, it was a misunderstanding. And like, you can tell the cops annoyed, like, and, uh, it was just this whole thing. And like, I'm like, why do I need to steal Pokemon? I'm like a 33 year old man. I'm not going to steal Pokemon <laughs> cards from your Walgreens, you know? And uh, so it turns this whole thing. So we went on like Yelp and like every review is like, never go to this Walgreens. Oh, wow. Like, blah, 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 blah. Like I've had the cops call to me three times. And That's what amazing. pissed me off the most is the cops were there. We were in there for four minutes. So before we even walked through the store, she must have called the cops. Like, <laughs> right. You know, it was just insane. And, and uh, yeah, so that was fun. So I, I remember Tammy. It's like, it's a chain. They're supposed to be all the same. And this one is like singled out. <laughs> like you don't want to go to this one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, screw Tammy in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. All right, there we go. Now we know. Yeah, have you ever had any weird stuff come up, like uh, run-ins? No, not well. I don't know if this would be considered a run-in. Okay, this is this is a good story though. This is what the one I when I thought of when Anthony mentioned the the theme of this. This yeah. is the story I thought of. So I'd been going to San Diego Comic Con, me and and my cohorts for a number of years, mm-hmm. and this was before it was completely insane. But in like I think it was two thousand eight, we found this hotel, like right on on this, the the. The gas lamp district is right out by the convention center in San Diego. We yeah, found sure. this hotel that was awesome. Boutique hotel, relatively cheap, eight blocks from the convention center. I'm like, this hotel is amazing. And as we left Comic-Con that year, mm-hmm. I said to them, I'm like, I want to book, like, I think it was three rooms for next year. Like, can we do that now? Like, yeah, yeah no problem. Hotels are extremely hard to come by. So, yeah, if you yeah. find a place you like and you can do it in advance, you might as well. So, we booked these rooms and then... We had three rooms. So I'm like, who's wants, we got these three rooms. Who's coming? And, and in the following year, the, all of us went and then like people were bringing their girlfriends. People were coming in for the show. It was, it was a big crew were showing up. So I would always go into LA first and then drive down with a friend of mine to San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I fly out. I get down to San Diego. We go to this hotel and it is out of business. <laughs> the hotel oh, is oh. closed. It does not exist anymore. And Comic-Con starts that night. Oh, we boy. show up on Wednesday for preview night. Sure. And we have nowhere to stay. And there's about six other people on their planes getting to San Diego. Oh, and we boy. have nothing. Uh, so that became its own. And this was, I guess it might have been 2009. So like there was the internet, but like the phones weren't that smart yet. No, no, like, no not at all. There was a lot of basically calling up. I don't even know who we called up, but we were just calling people and saying, like, are there any rooms? Are there any rooms? So we found this hotel, the Padre Trails Inn. We were able to get, it was, it was way out there. Uh, it was real grimy, real <laughs> grungy. Like, the, the women in our crew wanted to go to a Target to buy sheets, to change the sheets in the beds. Like, it <laughs> wow. was that kind that of a bed. situation. We stayed there one night, went to the convention center the next day. And then while we were at the con, uh, the, the ladies went and found us rooms at a Holiday Inn, and we were able to, like, we survived it, but it was, like, showing Surprised. up, showing up and seeing, like, your hotel doesn't exist. Yeah. The show starts in five hours. It's, is is full panic yeah. mode. Yeah, that's And terrible. you have enough to deal with, with a yeah. show like that. Like, even as an attendee, never mind if you're there for business purposes, like... Yeah, I mean, geez. luckily, it was, it was before things were 
so insane. Well, I went that year. It was still pretty insane. That's the last yeah. time I went, actually. Yeah, it was still nuts. Yeah, it was, like, it was, it was, it was 09, 08, something like that. It yeah. was... It was yeah, it was banana. Maybe it was 04. I don't know. But then I also went to, I think that was the year we went to a Denny's, and that was the last time I ever went to a Denny's <laughs> on, the, on the food, on the food yeah. poisoning tip. Oh, I had okay. to uh, leave oh, my really? table a number of times. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a fun trip. Yeah, that was, that was a rough year at, at San Diego Comic-Con. And then there was a couple years before that, we had picked up a rental car at Long Beach Airport, and we're driving down, and uh, on our drive, a tire blew out on the highway, and we had to pull off and oh, God. get a... Like change the tire yeah. and get there and switch the cars and so yeah those things do happen for sure but yeah that that San Diego hotel situation was uh, yeah I don't know I don't know how you even were able to find one because even that year before like you said it's before it got nuts I remember we had a like we couldn't even get a flight to San Diego we had to fly to LAX rent a car drive all the way to San Diego we stayed at some hotel that was attached to a Hooters or something like right. that and, and a strip club it was the weirdest I guess they just revolved staff <laughs> <laughs> funny about the strip club I wanted to mention this so. Uh, I mentioned my Ohio trip. Um, I was there. The, the official reason I was there was for a wedding. One of my best friends from high school got married. And uh, again, while I was there, I took mm-hmm. advantage of it. And I went to the um, Pack Rat Comics there. But I was there for the wedding. And it was in Columbus. And what was, what was funny about it was the hotel was a little a little way off the main road. But sort of the landmark that we used <laughs> to, to kind of guide us uh, right where we made the turn was, was a strip club and it wasn't tucked away. I mean, it was right on the main road. It was, it was very yeah. prominent and it just made me laugh because uh, my friend and his family, they're, you know, somewhat conservative mm-hmm. and religious, uh, but the bride and her family were like very Catholic. I mean, the, the wedding was a full mass, like okay. full mass. You know, the father of the bride, he gave a toast at the reception. It was all about God being first in your lives. And I just can't help but think of all these family members. <laughs> just driving past. Everybody has to drive past that strip club. What was the uh, punny name for the strip club? Did it uh, have like a... I don't remember. Like a name that... Like a cheeky sort of strip club name? I don't think <laughs> it did because I feel like I would have remembered that. The only thing I did remember was that uh, Saturday night, the night of the wedding, they were having a girl-on-girl kissing contest. A thousand dollar cash prize. could have huh. paid for the wedding. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know. Weddings, I think, are more expensive than a thousand dollars. Yeah, even in Ohio. I no, no, I know. Yeah, dollar, I believe me. I just got married like two years ago. I'm aware. Yeah, your dollar does go a lot farther. And kind of on that note, going back to the comic shop real quick, the amount of space that they have to work with, crazy. And I don't know the rent that they pay, but I know they're paying less than, oh, you know, yeah. than what we paid here and what, and what you pay. It's it's amazing. But uh, yeah, so the strip cup thing was was kind of funny. <laughs> I understand that's a big. I I've, I know that that's a thing that people do when they go to conventions i know those the, oh go to a strip club yeah like creators and stuff log i remember the first year i went to heroes con which was in 1998 and i was very excited to go it was first year at marvel comics and i was going as an employee of marvel mm-hmm. comics and i just wanted to go see uh tarzan the disney tarzan movie no it just came out it just come out and like there was a group of people like wait we're going to see tarzan like why aren't we going to the strip club but it was actually the best because <laughs> This was amazing. I, I talked about this on my podcast because uh, I went with the, the crew that I went with, like Mike Ringo, Todd DeZago, Craig Russo were all there. Like I went with them. But then in the same theater, like all of Gaijin Studios was there. Ron Garney was there. Like It's just like this. We were all there to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was the freaking coolest thing in the world because I was 23 hanging out with all mm-hmm. these people whose work I'd admired. And like I was being it's considered weird, right? almost... Like one of them, like they brought me, like they, they welcomed me in and I was in their cars driving to these shows. Like this is the best. It's still one of my, my best convention experiences ever. And again, it goes back to that. The best stuff is when you're not even at the show is when you're just out. It is. About. It's very true. Yeah. Great. And the movie was awesome. 
Yeah, you're so wholesome. You you know your your, your claim to <laughs> fame. Know. You drew that anti drug issue. Yeah, don't do pot. You don't yeah. go to strip clubs. I know. You're very wholesome. I mean, influence. I've been to strip clubs. I just I I can't suspend my disbelief. <laughs> it doesn't it, there's a lot of there's a lot of things about strip clubs that I don't quite understand. It also seems like that kind of thing should be private time. Like not, there's nothing shameful about it. Sure, be naked, whatever. But like, I don't want to be, do that with my bros around. You know, it's weird. Like, I don't Everyone get talks any about of strip that. Club. Yeah, I, I, I've been to a few, and like, I don't care. Like, it's not like, oh yeah, let's go to the strip club. But it almost ends up like it's like when you go to dinner somewhere and you're just like having a conversation. It's, it's just like it's the same thing. Like you're actually like almost having a meeting, but there's just naked women <laughs> dancing around. I had this really awkward experience in Richmond last year where they made we did we did there was nowhere else to go. And we're like, it's a Wednesday night. We're like, let's see how bad this could possibly be. <laughs> Nobody else in the place except the three of us. Right. Awkward as hell. 20, <laughs> 25 girls working. And they did this thing where they would make them go on the stage every half hour on the half hour and do a dance around the stage. And after like the second time this happened, we're like, there's nobody else here, guys. You don't need to do this. And like the lady's like, you have to do it. It was just the weirdest experience of my life. They're running a business. <laughs> like they're, yeah, they're, but, they're, it's a business. Yeah, I guess. But it was just very odd. So yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. I guess yeah. I know what you mean. I'd prefer like to see Tarzan too. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, changed the way I drew. Like, it, it, like, did like a rewiring in my brain. Like all day, all the next day, I was just sketching. Now, as far as like mingling after hours, I know Chris, you said you see a lot of the same people oh, at conventions. Sure. You guys socialize after, or um, is yeah. there even time for that? No. So yes and no. So we're like a weird case because like you were saying like uh, oh we go right out to the restaurants blah blah. We have to restock just because we're so like product dense that like going back to those boxes and stuff like that. We finish the show, we restock for like thirty to thirty minutes to an hour. Then we go to the trailer and like I'll basically snap pictures of all the racks and we'll go through the back stock and pull whatever we don't have to restock the shelf. So it takes like two hours, three hours sometimes, depending on a crazy show. And so by that time, it's already eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, and you know restaurants are closing, everybody's already gone out. You know, so that kind of cuts down on it for us. But you still do, you know, while you're setting up, it's like, oh, hey, what's up? I haven't seen you in three weeks. What shows were you at? Oh, what shows were you at? How was this? Blah, blah, blah. You start to see the same celebrities like uh, Flash Gordon. Like, he comes to the booth every show now. He's like, hey, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's weird. Like, even if it's like a Z-list star or it's an A-list star, you know, you see Jason David Frank like every week, you know, and it's just if, as a small show. I had this story last week. Um, Wizard World hired Kato Kalin as a... Uh, um, oh, an MC right. yeah, now yeah. Uh, for their main stage during the events, and he does a good job. Like everyone gives him, oh, it's Kato Kalin, like blah blah. But uh, he actually does a pretty good job. But whatever. So I'm seeing him the whole time, and I, all I can think of is I was in an elevator with him, and I'm like, when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, they interrupted Power Rangers. It was a five part series where they introduced the Green Ranger, right? And the fifth part, I come home from school, I'm like, all right, like uh, I can't wait to watch this, and uh, it's like. Kato Kalin on TV testifying in the OJ trial. And I just lost my mind. I, I, I never done this in my life. I got so mad. I was like, I was probably like, I don't even know, nine, 10 years old. I called Fox and I'm like, to complain. Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. And, and I'll never forget it. The lady on the phone, before I even said a word, she goes, let me guess, you're mad that Power Rangers isn't on. And I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 you know. And uh, so my whole life, I just associated <laughs> Kato Kalin with this incident. And then there he is in an elevator with me, you know. And I'm seeing the Green Ranger every weekend. And it's just, it's, it's really weird. And yeah. Even though it's been like 40 times this has happened, like you still are still a little weird, you know? It's just, you don't get used to it fully. I mean, there's something weird when, when it's somebody that you've seen on TV. Yeah. They almost, there's there's like another sort of weird mythic quality to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to like comic book artists, where there's a, there's a there's a line in where our fame is. Sure. And I'm far from that line. But even the most famous, like nobody knows who Robert Kirkman is. If you're not a comic book person, sure, he true. can go to dinner somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And everyone, will, right. the I mean, biggest Walking Dead fan in right. the world. Well, they might because he's times. been on like Conan O'Brien and stuff. True, but, but even still. Yeah. yeah. It's funny with the Power Rangers thing. I had the same thing, but with Family Matters, where mm. the OJ trial interrupted Family uh-huh. Matters. 
I, I wish I could remember the exact episode, but I remember just being incensed similarly. Yeah, yeah, that yeah it's like, all you look forward to all week. That and it got preempted. I mean, yeah. I wasn't moved enough to call. Yeah, I, I don't know. That. I was That's, really, I was really well, angry. Probably, well, this is a five-part buildup. Right. You know, like, who's and, the green you know. But then you probably knew that Urkel did that. That's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that mystery was solved. <laughs> but still, yeah, it's funny. But yeah, you know, and you can apply that story to like 50 other people. And it's just, it's a weird situation, you know, it's like. And then when you see the celebrities interacting with each other and like, like Stan Lee, for whatever reason, loves the Green Ranger. And every time they're at a show together, he just pops up in his booth. And it's just, it's a weird interaction. Like, why does this, you know, 93 year old man love the Green Ranger so much? Right. But, but yeah. Now, my hard traveling heroes, what are some of your favorite or least favorite places that you've been? I mean, separate from the events themselves, but just as far City? as places to go. Yeah. Mm. I do like San Diego. I haven't seen much of it. I like going to Los Angeles, but I have a lot of friends there and I, I kind of pal around with people i I hate los angeles (laughs) i like i like seattle a lot i've heard great things i've never been there i've never been either i'm a big fan of seattle if it it wasn't so pricey to get out there and stay out there i'd I'd go more Mm. often but i like seattle quite a bit uh where else have i gone that i've i've been to oregon i've not not everybody raves about that i've never been yeah that's that's somewhere i want to go um but yeah, you've probably been more a lot more places than I have. But. I've I've been to a bunch of places that just I haven't gone to the West Coast as much as I would like to, yeah, just same. because for me a convention and I talked about this when on on the podcast. I try and you want to make your money to make it worth mm-hmm. going, and a West Coast flight alone sort yes. of puts you in the hole, and yep. then the hotel puts you in the hole, and by that point you're pretty deep. And even selling and selling books makes you less money than selling sketches, of course. And I'm not a huge enough name to charge a huge enough mm. for the sketches to like clean up. So it sort of becomes a real, I would love to be invited. If anybody wants to invite me to shows, I'm, I'm dreaming of a, I would love for there to be a SpongeBob con in Hawaii and I want to be an invited guest. That's my, that's one of my dreams. That's probably not that hard. Honestly, do you ever reach out? Well, there is no SpongeBob con. It well, no, exist. no, no, not to a SpongeBob con, but just cons in general. Because uh, some of them I do and sometimes they'll offer uh, a table mm. or whatever. Like it's normally if, if they're going to pay for the, yeah, they're not the trip for the in the hotel, hotel and the, they, and they reach out a lot of times. they would yeah. reach out to me but you'd be surprised because especially like these days where there's so many new shows coming up yeah. and guests are spread so thin like people i'd be I honestly you should reach out a little more especially for newer shows they'd probably be happy to have you out because like even being able to put like your photo with a picture of spongebob right. makes a huge difference in promoting the show and, sure you know it's you know i would try it anyway from a from a festival no, from I, a convention yeah, that's organizer. true yeah i guess i, I understand <laughs> i'm listening but uh but for me i don't know i really like chicago a lot i have this weird me aside too. from the food poisoning but you know what i noticed I, I keep bringing this back to new york i guess i love new york but when you are from here and you go anywhere else n- nothing compares like everything closes at midnight or two two in the morning if you're lucky even in like la and you know it's 11 o'clock at night you're trying to find a restaurant you can't even find that and it's just a weird difference. Like you, you just take it for granted what you have here. So nothing ever really stacks up. The closest place I've ever had stack up to New York was like London, um, and and even then, like it's it's not New York. I don't know. Um, so I really like Chicago for whatever reason. Well, Chicago's a lot weird. like New York. It is, but, but everything the street, closes. But the streets super are wider, early. less yeah. congested. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like you, you can walk around the heart of the city at midnight, and you might not see another soul on the street. And then, like you know, you go to Times Square or anywhere in New York City, even at three in the morning, and there's a thousand people. I like DC. I've been to DC a couple of times. I like DC. I I've never been yeah. to New Orleans. I'd like to go. Like there are places I'd like to go. It was cool. So like I don't drink. Um, Nor do and, I. Okay, so you might not like New Orleans. <laughs> so, so I was I very like to eat though. Yeah. So even that, like, I was very let down by New Orleans. Really? I got. I got to be honest. I'm sure some people will hate me for this, but like, 
it's a very rundown city, which is fine. I'm not like knocking it for that. And they've obviously had a lot of struggles and things like that. Um, yeah, they've had and they're still, yeah, they're still rebuilding a lot of that stuff. But like, it's just like, there's certain blocks, like people warn me, they're like, you know, if you go to Bourbon Street, don't go one block left or right from this area, like even in the daytime. And like, I'm like, oh, I'm from New York. Like I'm used to, and you're still like, all right, I understand what they're saying. And like, if you walk every two feet, you walk, somebody's trying to like panhandle or beg you or try and con you out of money or take it and again being from new york you're used to this right but if you're from anywhere else in the country i could see like you just getting taken advantage of every two feet i don't know i just wasn't thrilled with uh, it. yeah you know, i've so. never been but steph was there for a work conference a couple years ago and she had the very similar takeaway oh, yeah, so i'm glad i'm not alone this is a fun road story i can't believe i forgot this one so one year uh to go to heroes con uh I thought it might be fun to drive down there, rent a car, drive from New York to Charlotte and drive back. That's mm. like nine hours? It's 11 hours, okay. 10 hours. So this was, I, I think this was 2004. So pre-GPS yeah. kind of a thing. So I had a bunch of uh, Yahoo maps, or MapQuest. I'm sorry, it was MapQuest <laughs> maps, yeah, printed out. Map I was then, still using MapQuest up until like a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had a bunch of MapQuest maps, <laughs> and I had places en route to possibly stop. So there was one that was this barbecue place in Manassas, Virginia that I wanted to go to. And we got completely lost, like added an extra hour and a half to our trip. And then it was uh, me, Jacob Shabbat, and Paul as a setta. We're driving down. So we got lost looking for this barbecue place, found it. It was fine. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. And then we got to Charlotte. And to your point of places closing super early, mm-hmm. we'd leave the show, get in the car, and I would drive to these places that I'd mapped out and done all this research at Every time we'd get to one, it would be closed. So every time. Funny you say that. I went killing to, me. I've only been to Charlotte once, and we did a magic tournament there. And during the weekend, nobody nobody goes to that city unless they're there for work during the week. It was the weirdest experience of my life. It was like uh, being in The Walking Dead or something. Like like you would not see a person. There'd be like one bird flying around in the heart of the city on yeah, a Saturday down, afternoon. Most downtowns outside of New York and new york yeah <laughs> yeah kind of yeah kinda aren't where people uh, live and breathe cleveland's like yep. that too just a ghost town it's so weird rochester is like yeah, that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh all due respect to rochester that is one of the worst places i've ever been <laughs> i had a bad experience in rochester I, I drove there to pick up a car once when i was a kid um and uh from a family member that was giving it to me so it was a great thing but i didn't i had to get up so early i didn't go to sleep the night before Oof. and I went all the way up there and I had to drive the car back and I was like 30 hours, no sleep. And it was just awful. And it was like 10 feet of snow, like everywhere. It was just hell. So I didn't give it a fair shake. Yeah. Upstate. So, you know, my, uh, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, so I have some family up there. We don't, we're not really in touch, but as a kid, we would go up and Mm. visit sometimes and eh, it was fine. So my day job now though, I work in law school admissions and a a decent part of my job is recruitment. So there are fairs at Uh. schools across the country it's really it, it kills me now because I, I really used to hate it but now that i actually want to travel to go to these comic shops yeah. it's like oh, i wish it's i had been doing one. this even sooner and i'm at the not that i'm so senior in the office now but i'm at the point where i don't have to go on as many trips as i used to it's like right and now you ah. want to <laughs> but i'm still m- managing to make it work as, as best as i can but anyway there's this upstate swing of recruiting events um every year end of september beginning of october uh, and my first couple of years there, I had to do it, and uh, I just I hated it. I think the first year I did it, I was filming the documentary about Jay Mizell and the closing mm-hmm. up of the flea market where he had his booth. And his last day at the market was the day before I had to be in Buffalo. Uh, so whereas normally I would have gone up on a Sunday, I would have either flown or, or driven and taken my time. 
I had to be at that flea market to capture those those last hours. So I remember I was there with Jay all day, and I went home and I got really just like a couple hours of sleep, and then I was on the road at like 4 a.m. driving up to Buffalo. I made great time. Yeah, that, that's that's true. <laughs> so there was that at least, and then there was another time I went to Buffalo for a film festival, and I think I've mentioned this on one of the other podcasts uh, earlier on, but talk about uh, a deserted town. I mean, there was no one there. And it was heartbreaking because I was there for a film festival. Mm. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. People are going to be here. They're going to see the movie. And there was just nobody around. Uh, and the, so we were there like Saturday and Sunday, which is when the festival was. And it was it was dead. And the festival was dead. It was really disappointing. And then Monday when we left, that's everyone came back to go to work. And so all of a sudden there's all this activity. But it, oh, it drove me nuts. So I... I I consider Buffalo my personal phantom zone. <laughs> upstate New York, like, it just, I don't know. I think the uh, listening uh, people from up there you're, is going to drop off dramatically after this. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel bad. Uh, I sorry, said, guys. I said all due respect to Rochester. <laughs> I said it. I saved, I, I saved my bacon. You guys keep digging the hole. I know. Uh, Listen, I, I appreciate all of my listeners, wherever they are. Even the ones in Buffalo? <laughs> Especially the ones there in Buffalo. There we go. Well, Good they have job. nothing to do. They might be listening a lot more. I just wish they come out to that film festival. So oh. here's here's a question uh, has nothing to do with anything, but it has to do with traveling. Yes. I don't know if this is in your in your on your notes, but you ever gotten sick on a trip, mid trip, not food yeah. poisoning, but like straight up, like you just caught a bug. Mm. Like there's all this talk of con crud after a show, yeah, but has it ever hit yeah. you in like during a show? Because I got sick at San Diego, oh. like saturday night it hit me so sunday i was laid out i actually left the convention to go home to go to the hotel and just sleep for 40 like an hour and then came back and i was just like there's a photo of me and i just look oh, God. wrecked that, that's my biggest fear and right? I, I can't think of i'm sure it might have happened here but i nothing's coming to mind so it couldn't have been too bad but that's my biggest fear and i don't know how it hasn't happened i guess you're just so on especially with you the wash, lack keep, of sleep i mean i wash my hands almost constantly yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm super conscious of it and then uh oh and there was one year before emerald city the night before I got on my plane, my stomach was a disaster. Oh, God. That's my biggest fear. And then I had a fever on the flight out. Uh, like, I felt myself. Like, I sweat through my, my hoodie, and I felt the fever break on the plane. Uh, so I was good, but it was, like, it was scary. Like, I, I have yeah. this flight. I got to go. Yeah. And it, it could have been a real bad week. It's weekend. already, like, not the most fun experience traveling. You know? Yeah. That's just, there's nothing worse. Yeah. So I'm about to embark yeah. on two trips back, two weekends back to back, and I'm, I've, I'm good so far. I and, just uh, stock I think up on you, vitamin C. Yeah, I was going to say, you learn what signs your body has, I think, yeah. and you kind of like react to them. Like, if I just overdose on orange juice and like just knock myself out and sleep, or I take an emergency, I, and everyone says it's a placebo, but that it works great for me. So, I just a placebo, I love it. I just try to eat, ve I try to eat that vegetables too. once. Like, I try Fruit to not just eat me. junk. Yeah. I'm tempted to. Yeah. I love junk. But that makes the difference. And especially yeah. that's that's one of the worst parts of like being on, on the road. It's like um, a lot of the guys that I'm with are on diets or stuff like that or they're, you know, like and it, finding like specialty food. They have to break their diets all the time. And you're, you're working at weird hours. You're stopping at truck stop. It's right. almost impossible to eat well. And then that definitely contributes to things. Yeah. That's something uh, Steph and I were, were talking about on, on this most recent trip because we've... Um, it's like we've radically shifted our eating habits, but we've definitely been eating differently where we've really been limiting the carbs. And when we do have carbs, we try to make them good carbs. But the, the biggest thing, and this is the most fundamental shift, is just moving away from that idea that, you know, a well-balanced meal has to have, you know, a protein, a starch, mm, yeah. and a vegetable. Cutting that starch out, and it's, it's really made a big difference. And after a while, you get used to it. 
But it's like anywhere you go, either the, the meal is carb centric or if it's not carb centric, there's something on there. Right. Um, so, yeah, it can be it's really very tricky. hard. You know? And it messes with your body, too, when you first start switching those types of things. Yeah. Like if you just do it suddenly, especially on the road or something, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I don't do when I'm traveling is working out. I almost never work out. No. Yeah. There's no time. Like to do to go to to go to the hotel gym, I'd have to wake up at six in the yeah, morning. Yeah, you're already getting just, up so early and you're going to bed so late. Yeah. And and a lot of my guys are gym rats and like I just don't know how they do it. Like, I'm like going sob. To the gym. Yeah, like sob. Oh my god. I mean I would I would love to He's be able to fit in like a thirty minute stationary bike ride and just you know because it does like your energy sort of gets yeah, ramped. But, but like who has time for <laughs> Yeah, for a convention it's it's tough. For the work trips, I'm usually able to at least get one in. Sure. Because it's not as demanding. It's not like you have to be in line at, you know, the crack right, of right. dawn. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, eating right and exercising and, and getting enough rest, especially for conventions. I mean, you feel like you barely the rest, sleep. The rest, the rest is hard rest to do. The rest happen. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is hard to do. You if catch up, like, the day you get home or something. And it's just impossible. If you're sharing the room with somebody that snores, oh, you're just Oh, not, my God. You're, you're so I, uh, one of my guys, like, <laughs> he snores, like, violently. Yeah. And I guess once I fall asleep, I'm just out cold, and I don't notice it. But I've had a couple new guys with me, like, switching them out. And, like... Brian O'Day, he he like threatened. He was like, "I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> like, I didn't sleep last night. Like, not me. I don't snore right. apparently, but the other guy, and they're noticing it hardcore, and that's a big problem. It's really. I mean, I have this weird thing with me where, if there are people in the room, I will be the last one to fall asleep. Like, yeah, I just have too. to be me the too. last one. And if somebody's snoring, then I can't fall asleep. So there are times where I'll go to the room early and try and fall asleep before everybody gets back, because mm. I know if I'm asleep before the snorer shows up, there's a good <laughs> chance I'll make it. But sometimes they snore loud enough that it actually wakes I, me I've, up. I've straight up like stopped working with certain people just because like they just you can't sleep with it's, them. And I'm really, like worried for them. Like they're gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> like, it sounds like they're gonna die. I wake up. I'm like, oh my god, is he like? I have ten. I have ten hour. A ten hour uh, audio file of just white noise on my iPod uh-huh. now. So if I have to, I, I just crank that up and it's like. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that is smart. And sometimes the snoring is still loud, but at least I'm kind of drowning. But then you have to sleep with earbuds, and that's yeah. you're not really asleep ever. That's, How many guys do you do you fit in a room? Depending on the show, between three and five. Um, I have two guys that love to sleep on the floor for some reason. Even when there's beds, they're just, you know, we generally, we'll generally split, you know, queen beds, uh, you know, two guys. Uh, and if my then back is particularly floor. janky, I'll sleep on the floor. Yeah, like maybe that's what it real is. Tight, <laughs> one of the guys always sleeps on the floor, and we only had uh, two people with, or three people with us one night, so he slept in the bed. And then, like, the whole week, he's like, my back and my neck, I can't. And I'm like, how does this make any sense? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we, we cram them in because the costs are just insane. There's some, yeah. you know, hotels weekends that are like $1,000, and, like, you can't have two rooms, you know. But, uh, so, the bigger the show, the more people we're cramming in. They're bringing air mattress or... We make it work. You start to, you don't really know a person until you, you know, share a van with them or a room or you really learn the ins and outs of everybody you may have known your whole life. <laughs> you know, you don't truly know them. So. That's true. It's weird. And a lot of like, you know, you always start getting a little arguments and infighting. And it's, it's, it's like being in a band or a family or something, you know. Oh, it's very much that, that, you know, that road. You know, you hear comedians talk about or bands talk about. It's all, it's all the same. Like, oh, just, yeah. Whatever you're doing, you know, you're doing the same. Sometimes thing. it's a freaking blast when you're in a room with good people and, oh, yeah. and like you're you're not falling asleep because somebody cracks a joke and everybody just laughs. Oh, dude, it happens constantly. Like you, yeah, like, that's you the know. best. That's when it's fun. Yeah. Good conversations in the fan. It can make a a twenty hour trip feel like two, or right. it can make it feel like forty. I always feel bad for like the random family that just happens to be staying in the hotel when like these events are going on because they just look so confused and like you're like what the hell is going on? Kind of on that note, that reminds me. So that Ohio trip for the wedding. Uh, some timing we ended up we were staying at the hotel at the same time that this soccer conference yeah was there's in always town. something else and the hotel was just overrun by these little kids and one of the elevators wasn't working uh. and it was like it took forever to get up and down and these kids were running around all over the place 
But I mean, kind of to that point of the the camaraderie of of a road trip or, or just being away in general, you know, no disrespect to Columbus, probably <laughs> wouldn't be number one on my list of vacation destinations. No. But I was there there for the wedding and to support my friend. You know, there are a bunch of other guys who, who were groomsmen. You know, we all went to high school together. Uh-huh. And these are people who, you know, when I see them, it's, you know, once or twice a year at most. And rarely are we all together. So to be together like that for a sustained amount of time, like it was great. Yeah. And I think like, you know, as you get older in your life, like if it wasn't for these things that we're tied to, like you really, it's not that you fall out with people. You know how it is. Like you might not see someone for six months and it's no ill will towards either person, but these kind of force you to still see your friends and things like that. And I think that's what keeps me going. Like when, when you're like, why the hell am I doing this? Like an endless amount of work, blah, blah, blah. But like you get to hang out with your friends at the end of the day and work with them and it, it affords you some things that a normal person wouldn't get to do, you know? Yeah, it's weird. Like, you know, this podcast, it's um, not that I wouldn't talk to people no, but same otherwise, thing, right? yeah. but it kind of is like it's been, you know, I'm not saying an excuse, but connected. an opportunity you're to, talking about, to you're, get together. You're starting to sound a bit like Rich Roney talking about the friendships that have been formed. Oh, the friendship and fun? Yeah, the fun and friendship <laughs> that has been formed over uh, the course of the shows or the podcast or what have you. Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of friendship and fun. A lot of friendships and fun. <laughs> it's all, life's about stories, right? That's how I am, I think. And like, those are the things like the podcast. Oh, remember when we did that podcast and this happened? Or remember that trip to, you know, wherever? And I love that. And when you're 80 years old and you're going to look back, those are the things you're going to remember. So, you know, anything that assists with that is cool, I guess. Thank you for listening. And until next time, just keep punching. (laughs) 